can't quite understand why. Maybe it was Dave Reed up there couldn't follow that <laughs> on the list. Uh, thank you for trying that, though, Dave. I couldn't tell it either where she was at until she mentioned the word Antioch, and I got that, and Paul and Barnabas. But that was absolutely wonderful, and we appreciate you, Carmen, reading that. And we've been introduced, haven't we, each week to a different language. And isn't it amazing as we sit here and remember just why there are different languages all over the world? You remember? It was a judgment, wasn't it? Because men thought they could gather up and build a place and look at God and say, I'll tell you what, you're never doing again. You'll never destroy us with a flood. And God said, I'll just confuse your language. Isn't that amazing? Something so simple. And yet on the day of Pentecost, we hear all of the nations here in, in their own language. God restoring the nations in Christ. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. <clears throat> this morning we continue the theme and the series on missions. And isn't it delightful to know that our pastor even... Our pastor this morning, I think, is traveling, and he'll be back tonight. He and his wife have been away to Serbia teaching and where the Baldwins serve and have given up their life for the cause of the gospel there, strengthening what once used to be there in the way of a church and worship and the love for Christ, which over the years had um, gone away. And so the Baldwins are there reestablishing something that once was there, and that's one thing we'll be talking about this morning. So our pastor's been there. And also we saw um, on this video some that we cherish and love. They're in a place where there's not a work. So they're out, in, so to speak, on the front lines establishing churches. That's a neat thing as well. So as a church here in the States, what are we about? We're about those two things. And we see them even evidenced in the life of our own body as we've sent missionaries out for those two purposes to establish churches where they're not to strengthen churches where they once were or are weak and so that's the purpose this morning of what we'll see in scripture <clears throat> but this thought as you consider this work let me read this scripture text when they had come together they asked him this is Christ after he'd been crucified and resurrected and spent some 40 days with them talking to them about what their work and ministry was about. They then asked him this question. And have you ever considered this question in light of our responsibility this morning as blood-bought believers and what we're about on the earth? Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, this was a valid question for Christ, wasn't it? We can find no place where he took his apostles aside and said, I've got the church constitution and the bylaws and when I die, you pick them up and this is how you operate. Isn't that amazing? He didn't do that. So here the apostles are, seeing the resurrected Christ, excited as they can be. Not long ago, very dejected, having seen him crucified, thinking that his worldwide mission was about to start and they were going to be a part. He was crucified, and then what? 
He was raised, and man, the excitement in that group of people could be seen by their testimony and their words. But now what? Is it that Israel's going to begin its continued place in God's redemptive history? What will the temple worship look like? What kind of plan, Lord, do you have so that this thing can move forward? That's a good question. You've got 120 folks sitting in an upper room. That's a small number compared to the responsibility that Christ has been talking about. What direction do we go? How do we continue what you began? Look at us. You can take the testimony of the leaders of Israel when they spoke with John and Peter and they called them this. Those are uneducated and common people. They could see nothing unique about them. And yet their words and their ministry were turning Jerusalem upside down. So the elders noted they had been with Jesus. So they didn't know exactly what this thing looked like. They'd been given this responsibility. They'd seen this most amazing thing, Christ doing things that never had been done. They tied it to the hope that they had, having read their Old Testament and been faithful Jews of the promise of God to establish His kingdom, to bring the King. Here He was. Now why would He leave? Now what? A better Israel? Maybe a more faithful king on the throne? What will our part be in all of this? So you see, these questions were very important. And you can imagine in the minds of the apostles, what was God up to? How in the world was this thing going to go forward? And Christ in this dissertation right here, right before He was taken up, now all of these things by Christ were meant to make the impression on these men in order that they might fulfill their ministry. They'd seen these things. They'd been with Him. They'd heard these words. He said, you're going to be my witnesses. There's a lot of things I don't understand about that word, but there's one thing for certain. A witness is somebody that's seen something and goes and tells it just the way he saw it, right? So that much they knew. We've seen something. It's different than anything we've ever seen. And our responsibility is to take it and tell it everywhere we go. That much they knew. And then we find them doing that very thing. And the leaders in the nation begin to bring them before their council and tell them to quit speaking. Quit being a witness. But Christ had given them this responsibility. So off they went to do it. And it was a wise man named Gamaliel who said of this particular movement, there have been two people in time past who had started a bit of a movement in Israel, Thaddeus and Judas. Both of them had met the sword following their deaths. Their followers quickly dispersed. Gamaliel said this about this particular undertaking or plan if it's of man it'll fail but if it's of God you will not be able to overturn it or overthrow it so what's the statement here 
It is, so to speak, game on, isn't it? Here are the apostles. Here's what's at stake. Was the person and work of Christ, His resurrection and all that entailed in His life, was it of God or not? And here are these little apostles with a few folks with them to answer that question. Think of it. 120 against the world? 120 even against the nation of Israel? 120 against the synagogue and the elders and the leaders and the temple? 120 against the armies of Rome and its emperor who loved to be worshipped as a god himself? If you were a betting man, would you take that one? 120 against the world. That's what it looked like, right? That's what, as John looked around, he could think in his mind, my, what a task. So that's a question that we have to look at and answer ourselves. <clears throat> But the verse this morning that helps me understand that and put it in the context for us. And now as we look around some 2,000 years beyond that particular point in history, it's easy for us to say, well, I mean, look, those guys should have known early on this is what it was going to be. Really? Really? Would you have? Would you have been that particular person in that meeting that said, don't worry about it. God's going to spread it all over the world through our little voice and testimony. Well, how much money do we've got? Well, the guy that laid at the temple who begged for a few coins looked at Peter and John, the leaders of the movement, and said, Can you give me something? Yeah, they said, Silver and gold, have we none? Boy, don't you need money for missions? For a worldwide conquest? To destroy the armies of Rome? To take over the religious system of Israel? Don't you need some money? This group is going to check that one off. Silver and gold. We don't have. But such as we have, give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. So they took this guy with them whenever they got arrested. And the elders looked at him and said, What are we going to say? That guy right there used to be crippled and he's healed. What can we say? A notable miracle has been done. You see, this was God's plan. Has it not always been? Why didn't God choose something strong and powerful? Why not the theaters of Greece so they could put on plays all over the world and reenact the crucifixion? Why not save a couple gladiators who'd won the world over with their sword and use them to testify? These men have slain their thousands. Listen to what they've got to say. A handful of fishermen, a tax collector, and a few women. Just the way God does things, isn't it? So it is, you see, that we ask this question then, as we ask these questions of ourselves, and as these men ask these questions, and they didn't get the answers right off, the Christ just said, you're going to be a witness. Man, don't you have anything else 
Is there any more? Can you give us something more? How's this thing going to be organized, Lord? Is there going to be a secretary and a president and a CEO? What, what in the world? How are we going to raise money? We're already broke. Man, there are a thousand questions you can see. But the key to all of this is this understanding you see. In Colossians 1 and verse 15 through 20, we find then that God has a purpose in missions. What is that purpose, we ask? As we see this small band of people, we ask the question, what is his purpose? As a business owner, and any of you in here that's been in that position, there's something very helpful when you have employees. They think like you do as the owner. If you ever hear that in any place, you understand that to be a certain truth. The necessity of this little band of 120 and their success rested on this. Did they understand and know and were they gripped by the purpose God had? If they went out and did, did their own little thing, they'd end like Judas and Thaddeus. At the end of a sword and all their followers dispersed. But when you and I understand the purpose God has, you'll see how it ties in with the success they have. What is the theme of missions, true missions? It will always be aligned with God's purpose. Doing good things for man, men. Feeding the poor, helping the sick, building hospitals, relieving suffering, social justice, redeeming the culture, exalting love. All of these things sound good, and many of them are. And many of them are done by those who love and embrace the Savior. But I'm telling you, this is not the overarching, defining purpose of God's mission in the world. And these things would never be the things that would carry the church of God. From Judah to Israel to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. No way. What was it then? Colossians 1, let me read these verses. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. What's God's purpose in the world? It's to declare the preeminence of Christ as He was in creation and as He is in the life of the body, the church. You see, this is the purpose of God. And it can be found all over Scripture. I'm going to share with you several verses that will help you understand and understand this thought and idea from the very mind and heart of God. And you'll see how it pervades these first 120 folks. But the real question is, do you agree with it? That's an important part, right? You're not here by accident this morning. 
And we can look what happened in the past. We can talk about distant lands. But what God's most concerned about at this moment, in this period in time and history, is what you think about it. And that you're willing to change your thinking in order that it would be like His. That's what happened to the 120. So note with me first, one of the most prominent missionaries in all the world that's ever lived, we would all agree, is the Apostle Paul. As he went to the area of Corinth, a place where they valued wisdom and learning and theatrics and sin. Can you imagine as he went thinking, how am I going to reach these folks? Man, I've got to do something big. I've got to get their attention. I've got to be flamboyant. He said, when I was among you, I decided to know nothing save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He was committed to the purpose God had as the witnesses we are to the world. He was committed to this one thing. It was God's purpose. You see, God's purpose was to go to Corinth through the person and work of Paul and declare the person and work of Christ. Paul's main purpose and goal was to get it right as a steward of the goodness and grace of God. He wasn't there, you see, merely to meet a handful of needs of others. Paul was an apostle and had the ability and was used at times to heal multitudes. Many people were healed by the hand of Paul. That wasn't his purpose of going to Corinth. If God did it in the testimony and confirmation of the gospel, so be it. But his purpose was this, to declare in right terms and in every way the person of Christ and his glory. His work in time and history, his promises for the lost and dying in this world. That, you see, was the purpose of God. And Paul embodied that and made that statement in these words. It was at his baptism by the hands of John the Baptist that the voice came from heaven, the voice of his father that said this, in order that men might understand God's purpose, he made this statement over his son, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What did he not want the unlucky world to be confused about? Every other person that had come to John the Baptist came there for one reason, and what was it for? They had sinned. It was a baptism of repentance. You see, what God did not want in that moment is that you and I or the world be confused about why this one came. Did he come because of his sin? No, he came to be identified with us in our sin. And so God spoke from heaven that we might understand His divine overarching purpose. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when, of course, Peter always quick to speak, you can imagine trembling at such a sight. There's Moses and Elijah. He'd read about them. I never forget my father telling me one time, son, I listened on the radio for years to Stan Musial and these baseball players, and one day I walk into the St. Louis locker room, and my name's hanging there with Withrow on the back. When I look over and see Stan Musial, it's like a dream. It doesn't seem real. Can you imagine the day that 
Peter stood on that mount when he'd read of Elijah and Moses and all that had been accomplished through their ministry. He looks over there and they're talking to Jesus. Man, what a moment. And in his desire to be spiritual, he made this comment, let's build three tabernacles and just stay right here. Now you can't blame him for that. You'd want to stay there too, I hope. But after the cloud came and they heard this loud voice, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. What did he want Peter to walk off that hill understanding? He is my purpose. Moses had his moment. Elijah had his ministry. This is the goal of all eternity. You see, God had to do some amazing things to make those things clear. So we can understand as we read our Bible that God's purpose and missions, which is Christ, His person and His work, has been and always will be in direct opposition to any cultural context of which it goes. 1 Corinthians makes that clear. Christ, His glory, and His work will always be by the world considered foolishness. And by the Jews, it will always be to the unbelieving Jews a stumbling block. You see, that's the truth of it. You must remember that. His purpose, who is Christ, His work, and His person will always be to the world these things. No matter what kind of package you put it in. No matter how you come across with it, it will always be this. Those 120 understood it. They carried it as a witness nonetheless. And they met with just the opposition Christ and the Father said they would. But they met with the success that Christ guaranteed. Because they embraced the purpose that God had in His own heart for His work. The reality of this work of Christ is, though to the Jew it's a stumbling block, and to the Gentile it's utter foolishness. A man dying on a cross, the one who created the world, giving himself over to the Roman government to die with a few spikes in his hand and a sword thrust into his side. What kind of thing is this? But to you and I who are being saved, his person and His work, which are God's purpose and missions, is the power of God to salvation to all who are being saved. Peter said it like this as he looked at Christ and as he remembered what occurred, rejected by men indeed. But here's the vital thing about it. In the sight of God chosen and precious, as we consider the work of missions this morning, from the witness of this book in Colossians. We're given two clear things. God's design for us in the way in which we move forward in this church and in every true church is that our goal would be the faithful witness with the same purpose God had. And that's telling the world about His Son and His place in all of creation. And telling about His Son in the formation of His body, the church. You see, what God valued, the world doesn't. Always remember 
my question to you as we close on this point. Could it be said of you that the very purpose for why you do life is to make Him known in the world? You say, well, I'm not a missionary. I'm not over there. You're exactly right. But if you think that's the only context that God calls me in to live a life completely sold out to the cause of Christ, you're completely wrong. You see, I'm convinced that those we send over there have been doing what they do over there right here. What they do over there is just in a different place, but it's not a different thing. vital so you and I armed with this purpose what then is the plan that God has shared with us in scripture that gets us to Acts chapter 14 this being the purpose and it's clear it's God's purpose it's vital for you and for me to understand that we must align with God's purpose now what's God's plan we ask this question and it's clear from this passage in Acts 14 verses 19 through 23 we could say many things about this. Why wouldn't God wait till they had computers? And goodness, we could just get on social media and reach thousands. Just like that. Why couldn't he just video this thing and send it across the world? Man, we would have come up with such a better idea, I assume. What was God's plan? Well, let's look and see in Acts 14 just what that was. We see there these men preaching. There's no way in the 21st century that preaching is still the way we're going to reach the multitudes and accomplish God's purpose. As I can tell concerning the plan of God, it's not changed. The word preach means to herald or tell forth or share a particular truth or body or message. In verse 21 of Acts 14, it said that they preached the gospel. You see, that will never change as long as time goes on. You say, well, there come a time when we all robots. We'll get us a robot preacher and a robot congregation. <laughs> no, friend. That'll never happen. You see, God's plan has been this all along. No longer you see the nation of Israel fulfilled their purpose as a nation. Now God's chosen to do something far different. It was in His plan from all eternity past, unfolded now in time and history, saving a little group of people, 120 folks there in the upper room, taking the Spirit of God and putting it in them, giving them a message about the Savior testifying to His greatness and His glory, and then sending them across the world. That seems so odd. And the question we all should ask is, how in the world is that going to succeed? It's God's purpose. He's owned it. He's guaranteed its success. His plan is this, that we would take this message gripped by it and take it to every place we can find and find ourselves a hearing there. So we take it to St. Benedict's. We take it to Africa. 
We take the same message to the Patino shelter or to the church pulpit at Heritage or PVCC or anywhere there's a faithful gathering of God's people. These folks gathered in houses. They gathered up in people's houses. They were a church. We'll get to that in a minute as we define it. But no, this was the plan. These people had seen something or a person and his work and it had changed their lives. They beheld his glory. Glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And off they went. You see, that's God's plan. That's the way he designed it. So there in the church in Antioch, there was a guy praying. His name was Paul. They were fasting together with the church. The Spirit of God said, set these two men aside, send them out. There they went. Off they went. What did they carry with them? The message. What did they have? God's purpose. To declare to the world the person and work of Christ. And here they went. Lystra, Iconium. Those places. They preached Christ where He wasn't known. And then we'll note that here. In those places, having preached Christ, notice what they did. They established disciples. And then verse 22 and 23 said they planted the church. This little group of people, without money, influence, or power, begin to take something that they'd seen and the power that was given them from on high and carry the witness of it to the world. You saw how in the first eight chapters of the book of Acts, how it was unfolded in Judea and Israel and even started in the fringes of Samaria. The rest of Acts is how it begins to move across the world. Listen, friend, they didn't have cars, mopeds, motorcycles, airplanes, or any form of transportation that was any way in light convenient. They couldn't travel first class on a cargo ship. But they were going to carry this message to the end of the world. If you've ever worked with somebody or been around somebody, and you know if you gave them something to do, they never quit. You appreciate that kind of person. If somebody runs into difficulty, and at the first sign of difficulty, they give up, they throw their hands up. I quit. If you're working with them, you go, oh, man, you call the office and say, can you give me another helper down here? <laughs> what we see these folks faced with are difficulty after difficulty after difficulty. Stoned and beaten. Shipwrecked. On and on we could go. What kept them working the plan? They had embraced the purpose of God. You see, the plan was to preach the gospel, to establish disciples and to plant churches. They were about the business. You see, if in the work of missions we understand God's plan, then we must work it, right? The Bible's clear about that here. Not only did Paul and Barnabas preach where the gospel had never been preached, Spend time, invest their life, spend their nights, 
and days teaching those folks. You can see the way Paul did it in Acts 19. He went from house to house with tears. Night and day. He said to the Ephesians. Imagine. You mean Paul didn't show up? We're in a motel. Gather up the musicians. He wanted the most famous. Have a meeting. A few converts. Move on to the next town. Sometimes as 21st century Americans, that's the way we think it happens, right? A little short-term mission trip. He goes over there and paints a house and starts a church one week. Uh-uh. No, no. His goal was to go and invest his life. He didn't know if he'd ever come back. He went and spent months, you see, teaching and preaching. He even, at Ephesus, rented a place and gathered them up during their lunch hour and taught them. He made visits every night from house to house. Now, what do you think the conversation was about? The latest gladiator and his victory? I don't think so. The person and work of Christ. His goal was to establish people like you and me in the faith so that we could be gripped with the reality that the one he testified and witnessed to had created the world, had put the stars in their place. That was his goal. Had authority over every demon and devil of hell. And he tried to help them understand how this same one came and took a body, was crucified. and was head of a new thing called the church. And what that meant to them and to the world. You see, it was this plan that God had. This is the way He was going to establish this work in the world. So what for us now? Think of it just a minute. He was going to preach, establish disciples, and plant churches. Without all three, it would have been a flop. A total flop. So in our mission endeavors, as we look on these boards and see the folks we send, as we consider the ways in which we support them, as we pray on their behalf, as we think about missions in general, is this the way we think of it? It's a costly endeavor. As we were singing this song that Jonathan chose about those who had given up their lives for this cause in the process of missions going forward, it broke my heart to think that it's cost men their lives for me to hear the gospel. It might have been many years ago, but it cost people their lives for you and for me at some point in history to hear this message. You see, the devil's always about stamping it out watering it down, bringing confusion. Much of the work of Paul, as he sent some of his finest recruits, like Timothy and Titus, it was to go back to establish churches that Paul was a part of, and they would help them grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus and to stand against heresy. That's the very thing we're a part of as a church too, isn't it? Do you think about that? Do we consider such a thing? Let's ask the question then. Why then plant churches? 
We have McDonald's for hamburgers now, and it can be done quickly when we drive through the drive-up window. Man, why couldn't we get a church with a drive-up window? And the preacher would stand there, and you'd drive up, and he'd give you a little sermon, you head on by. I mean, life is busy, isn't it? Goodness. Life is busy while this fuss about churches. I mean, as many people would say anyway, they're full of hypocrites. They seem so ineffective. Why doesn't God do it another way? Churches. Well, the Bible defines the word church in this way. Church in its context in the Greek world would have been an assembly. Anybody gathered up for any kind of purpose. It could be more formal. It could be uh, the Republicans gather, or the Democrats gather, or the Lions Club, or the JCs. Could be like that as well. But you notice what the New Testament has taken and defined in the way of a church the assembly or the church of God. You see, it's His particular people in the midst of the world. You say, I don't understand that. You mean He was willing to gather a handful of folks, many of who were slaves, in a little house and call that his plan to reach the world? Shake your head with me like this. Exactly right. It's exactly the way we wouldn't have done it. It's exactly the way the world wouldn't have done it. It's exactly the way God chose to do it. And you see, it will never go out of vogue in heaven. It's the way that God will always work His work. It's the most amazing thing. In 1 Timothy 3, this statement is made about the church. It's the household of God. You see, you come to my shop, I don't care what kind of shoes you've got on. I don't care how muddy they are. I don't care about getting water on the floor. It's just a shop. And many of you are the same way. There's a lot of places in your life that you know the concern is just not the same way it is at your own house, right? But when you come into your house, it's a different level of care, isn't it? And notice, of all the things God could have said about the church... This one helps us define it clearly. It's the household of God. It's the place He's chosen. Not the amphitheater. Not Washington's capital. Not the capital of the nations. Not any particular place in the world. It's those little people gathered up in those houses that call on His name and trust Christ. That's the place out of all the world He's chosen to dwell personally. Man! What an amazing thing. You see, the Jew couldn't understand that. They took 46 years and built him a big place to dwell. He said, I'm not worried about that. I want to be over in that house with that six people gathered up who are in love with Christ, who can't believe what he did on their behalf. That's where I'm going to be. Right there. You see, they got it all wrong in the temple. They got so in enamored with the stones. Lord, look at these stones, the apostle told him. Look at the building. It took 46 years to get this thing put up. 
Surely God wouldn't change His plan after such a long program to build such a nice building and with all the gold inlaid and everything that ornated this building. Surely God would choose that building. He said, no, no. There's coming a day when not one stone will be left on another. But I'm going to tell you where I'll be in those houses with those people. In Serbia, in Haiti, in Russia, in this country, I'll be with that group of people gathered up who love the name of my son, who grip the purpose, and who delight in my plan. You see, the household of God is the church that you and I called out of the world, assembled together under this banner, the living God. That's amazing, isn't it? So we understand this very thing from Scripture. It's so clear. The church is defined as His household, the body of Christ. In the Bible, it's used in these ways. We must confess that not everything that says it's a church is a church, right? So we know this as we leave these two points. God has a purpose. It's the witness of His Son, His greatness and His glory. He's chosen to do it in the most, for many, a strange way. To take men and take their voice and testify to His work and His person. To take those same people and gather them together and disciple them and teach them about His Son in order that they might come together as a church and live out their life with the same purpose the missionary had when he came. <clears throat> so we ask this question as a church, what is our priority? Have you ever asked that question? Well, Pastor, we all got troubles. Man, we're depressed. We got struggles at work. We got kids that won't act right. We got troubles. I don't have enough money. I'm worried I can't retire. The last thing I have a time to worry about is establishing some little church in some little place in the other part of the world with a group of little people. Not on my radar. Not on my radar. You see, maybe you're thinking it's not to that degree, but to what degree? I don't know. We all have to ask ourselves. You see, the challenge for us is to read His Word and then to take our lives and put it in conformity to it. We know what His purpose is. It's clear. He's clearly given us what His plan is. Our goal as a leadership in this church is to align the priorities of this church with those two things, His purpose and His plan. But you see, the way it's done is like this. You and I change the way we think to what He thinks. And then what begins to happen is my hands take my pocketbook and pull out my money and give it so that the gospel goes. I'm willing to change my schedule to make certain the gospel goes. I'm willing at work to spend my time praying about the gospel going to those who are unconverted. I'm willing to live my life in a different way. You see, that's the whole thing here, isn't it? You say, well, if I went to a foreign land, I'd live different than I do now. 
Something wrong with that, isn't it? We cannot think that way. It's not biblical thinking. So our priority, first and foremost, is to embrace His purpose. We must embrace His purpose. And that is falling in love with His Son. If you're here this morning and you have... What is your thought about Him? Or do you... If you're honest with yourself through the week, do you rarely think of Him? Do you rarely think about what He's done and who He is? Can you look up into the stars at night and not think about who put them there and who holds them in their place? When you walk in these doors, is it to serve merely for yourself some sense of guilt you want to gather up and then leave? Friend, there's so much more to this thing. It's fallen in love with the one that God sent. The one whom the world says is worthless, but God said is of chosen and precious value. How do you value it? That's the question, isn't it? So as a church, the degree which we do missions will be the, to, the degree to which you love Christ. The degree which I love Christ. Ask yourself that question. The last thing. It will be the way in which we choose to fulfill His plan. You see, in my body, if a rogue cell begins to reproduce itself, that's called cancer. But when a healthy cell reproduces itself, that's life. Healthy churches produce healthy churches. So our goal as a church ought to be to take this book to line it up with what we do, with what He said. And to be, begin to go in every place possible where it gives us opportunity, first in our places of Judea, right where you live, then any other place you go. Hopefully this week we got a good representation in Florida and folks are hearing the gospel, right? And that's what we hope as we see you not on these pews during the Sunday service. We're hopeful that you're somewhere telling somebody about His name. That's the goal. And if in God's sovereignty and His providence, you're one of those who God gifts to send to another land where the name of Christ has never been preached, we want to help you get there. If your goal is to go where churches are weak, we want to help you get there. You see, this ought to be as a church collectively from pew to pew or chair to chair. Our purpose. So would you this morning, as I've shared these things, evaluate your own life in light of this. Where do you stand? Might the Lord help you and might the Lord help me be faithful to what He shared in the Bible with us about the way he's moving his calls forward. Listen, brothers, anything we give up here will be reserved and multiplied over there. So if you send one of your kids off to the field of missions and they never come back alive but in a body bag, you will enjoy forever in heaven the glory of God in the face of Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the truth that you've not left us to ourselves nor in darkness, but you've saved us and changed us and given us these truths that speak of the glory of your Son whom we love.
Lord, this morning, just help us all. Lord, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and all the things the world advertises grips our hearts and minds. Free us this morning, we pray, from all of those things that we might grip your purpose and work your plan as a church. May that be our priority, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Stand and respond.